And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Hello and welcome to Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matt. Good evening, Joanne, and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And we're kind of celebrating tonight. We have we have a guest that we'll get to in a moment. But Matt and I wanted to share that we've broken uh, 10,000 listeners. Um, so we were really excited about that, that we're sharing that with you tonight on tonight's show. And we're excited that those 10,000 listeners get to hear from our guest uh, tonight. So for over a decade, the gardening world has seen the continuous rise in popularity of growing your own food and food security. One of the most popular plants of this growing movement are apple trees. And if you live in the northern part of the country where winters can be long and unforgiving, hardiness is just as important as flavor. So joining us tonight to talk about his new book, Hardy Apples, Growing Apples in Cold Climates, is author Bob Osborne to talk about how to select, grow, and care for apple trees in our cold climates. So do you have a question for Bob? We know you do because you were uh, preparing them ahead of time for us um, about your apple tree or something you, you want to want to know about. Then please send them here to us at Down the Garden Path podcast at hotmail.com. That's right. So just before Bob joins us on the show, a little bit about Bob. Uh, Bob Osborne is owner of Cornhill Nursery in New Brunswick, Canada. He's a gardening author a columnist on CBC Radio, and a member of several horticultural organizations. So welcome to the show, Bob. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for joining us. We're so excited to be able to talk to you about apples and your wonderful new book. Um, I'm sure we'll mention your other book about all about roses as well. (laughs) Yes. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about your background as a gardener? Well, actually, I mean, I started out at eight years old when my mother gave me a tiny plot to grow potatoes. <laughs> and from that, from that point on, really, every year I was in a garden, uh, except for one year when I was going to university. But uh, basically, I've always, I've always had a garden. And we moved to New Brunswick in 1971. And it was a sort of gravel pit in a frost pocket. Not a a great growing area, but we had a good garden. Yeah. And and then I went out to the local garden center and bought five apple trees, right? Oh, that'd be great. But they really did poorly. And Mm -hmm. part of it was our site, I'm sure, and my lack of knowledge. But a lot of it turned out to be the wrong cultivars for our climate. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had Jonathan's and Red Delicious and so forth. And, you know, while you can grow them here, they really don't thrive. They need a longer season to mature and so forth. And that got me interested in, well, what what different apples should I get? 
And so I started to do research into apples and that led me to rootstocks as well, which is really just as important as the tops when you're growing an apple tree. And so uh, my father moved near us and his land was amazing, like great soil. You could grow anything, dash a lime. And, uh, and so we, uh, we moved here and started the nursery. And my first crop was apples. And I actually have a record. It was about 42 grafted apples. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that yeah. was my first crop. Uh, and over the years, uh, stubbornness and uh, persistence uh, led us down the path of gaining more and more different types of materials. And gradually, we were growing thousands of apples uh, each year. And we were interested in a lot of the older cultivars mm, that are sort of disappearing right now. Mm. Uh, and uh, there are many uh, uh, apple sleuths out there these days. It seems like every time there's a, a hole that needs to be filled, somebody comes along and looks <laughs> for old apples and so forth. Um, so, uh, you know, I've, I've been interested in collecting all of these over the years. And, and I had an, an orchard that was basically about 80 different cultivars. And it was kind of neglected. We just use it for wood, for grafting. We were not, we're not fruit growers. We are apple tree growers. Ah. And so uh, it kind of uh, went into decline because we started to use hedges uh, for our, our cyan wood. And, but gradually I thought, well, I never had the heart to cut it down. Okay. And so now I've, as a kind of semi-retirement thing, I just have fun in the in the orchard, trying out various uh, pruning methods. These are older trees, 42 years old, uh, and they they vary tremendously in what they get for scab and insects and so forth. So it, it gives me a, a a palette of all these apples that we've grown for 40 years, and just put that together along with the histories and so forth, which I find amazing because. Every apple has a history to it, mm -hmm. if it can be found out. Uh, and so that's part of the book as well. But I want to tell people, you know, what, what kinds of soils are, are necessary for optimal growth. You can grow apples in many soils, but if you want a really quality apple, quality apple tree, then you need to, to know all the particulars about your soil. Would you say that's the biggest, um, aside from climate, would that be the most important factor in, in your success? I mean, it's hard to say which is most important, but certainly soil uh, and site has a great uh, influence as well. But sometimes you don't have a choice of your site. It's, it's your backyard yeah, right, or whatever, yes. right? Mm -hmm. so, so really, uh, soil, I think, uh, and and it has a great influence, too, on water because uh, a soil that holds too much water, uh, like a heavy clay soil, will not be amenable to good apple growth. If you look where they grow wild, uh, you'll see it's generally in higher pH soils that are, that are almost gravelly, uh, gravelly, sandy, loam. Not always, of course, but they like a free, open, draining soil. Very nice. So you mentioned that you're in the business of not growing the apples themselves, but producing the trees themselves. Right. You mentioned the term scion and rootstock. So could you talk to that about, you know, grafting and producing the tree? What goes into creating an apple tree for our listeners? Yep. Well, you have to start out uh, with a rootstock. And in, we have two different types of rootstocks. Some are grown from seed. We have a special seed orchard where we collect these, they're old Russian apples and they, uh, 
we collect the seed and mash them and uh, and then sow the seed. And that gives us, uh, there, there's a particular type of apples that we're using for that. So they tend to be fairly, you know, standardized in height and so forth, productivity. Uh, and then there are clonal rootstocks. And these are actually grown in what are called stool beds. And they start out with, uh, with a type of, of rootstock they want, and they put them in hedges in the ground, and they cut them right back to the ground uh, after a couple of years. And then they send up these big shoots, which they cover with sawdust and, uh, and earth. And then the, the shoots root into that. And then they groom it away and they cut those off. And so you have all these sticks with roots on. Them. And so, but the nice thing about those is that you know exactly how productive they are. You generally know how hardy they are. Uh, you know, there are all these things like they've been studied for years. So there's data on them. So you right. can choose the right rootstock for what you are trying to do. What, you know, if you're a big grower or a small grower or whatever. Um, and uh, and so you, you have these two types. And then what you do is you have what's called, you, you need scions. And scions, you think of it, yeah, you, you are a child of your parents. You are a scion. They're scions. Right. And so what you're doing is you're you're passing on the genetics that like usually what we do is we have one year wood, last year's wood, which is usually vegetative buds. And that is uh, snipped off in mid uh, here in mid-March it has to okay. be totally dormant. You don't want any movement in the buds and they're stored as close to freezing as you can. And then we take an individual bud and put it on the top of one of these roots. And we wrap it in a material called parafilm, which is kind of a stretchy self-adhesive uh, compound that they use for like covering beakers and test tubes and so forth. And that, that wraps it up and we dip it in a combination of beeswax and tree rosin. And then that is our little tree. And then that is planted out in rows. Uh, and then we only allow that bud to grow. And so everything else is rubbed off. You don't want any of the rootstock taking the energy of the root. And so we end up with like a, a single shoot, usually about uh, three to four feet tall. And then that we leave that in the ground and then you get a branch tree. And so we sell both the one year and the two year branch trees. Uh, but we have to have that cyan wood so that we can continue to graft all these different types of apples. It's a little bit like, uh, it's a little bit like having um, a, a museum. <laughs> but it just it gets better instead of uh, gathering dust. <laughs> so when you do the grafting of the scion to the rootstock, is there like do you use chip budding or tea budding or a certain we actually technique? we generally use a whip and tongue. And so okay. what you do is you make a slice uh, at an angle on the rootstock and the scion wood uh, that should match in size and shape. Uh, and then you make a, usually that, it's funny, you see in these grafting books, they have these great big long whipping tongues. We actually use quite short ones and we find you get a much better match and no overhanging tails as it were. Wow. Uh, and then uh, we usually just uh, put one bud and it's, it's a whipping tongue, but it's a section of the, the stem with one bud. And what that does is, especially for rare material or, what we don't have many of, uh, we only use one bud so that you can, out of a cyan stick, you might get 10, sometimes more 
uh, trees out of one stick. So, and then once that is, uh, once again, once it grows, then basically uh, you only let that and you never, you never let rootstock uh, sucker up. Nice. Yeah. So harvesting all those, that cyanwood goes quite a ways when you use just the one bud. That's right. I mean, if I'm by, if I need 500 trees, then I can do, I divide that by, you know, whatever I think, you know, it depends on the sign, but sometimes you can get eight, 10 trees, 10 buds uh, that are good. Very nice. And so Cornhill Nursery is mainly a wholesale supplier of just the apple trees. No, actually, we're, we used to be more wholesale than wolf and retail, but we've actually become more retail than wholesale now. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with the COVID, believe it or not, because people were in their gardens and all of a sudden our online orders exploded. And, <laughs> right. so, and so we were shipping out lots of apples. Um, so and, and that seems to have continued. I mean, people have gone to basically ordering online for everything. And it's true in the nursery industry now. Well, and that was actually going to be one of my questions of do, are people just in your province of ordering or are you ordering like people from Ontario and, and all yep. over Canada? All over Canada. Yeah. We have been doing U.S. orders, although we're, we're kind of thinking that we might stop just because there's so much hassle that yeah. uh, it hardly seems worth it. But uh, yeah. Well, we have we shipped all over the world in some ways. Not well, the only thing is apples, though, is uh, you can't cross the border. That's right. I'm thinking of roses, which we ship. Oh, okay. But, but oh, okay. apple apples actually we can't ship outside. Can't of ship. Yeah. So they are just in Canada. That is great because we've talked about that on the show when we've recommended that people consider because often we'll get questions about when's a good time to plant a tree and and usually they're asking when it's really not a good time to plant a tree. So we're always kind of like recommending that they you know call you know look it up look redo their research um, you know and uh, and. You, you would being mail order like you know the best variety for them and the best time to ship it to them right right um so yeah so we always kind of defer <laughs> <laughs> that's right so you touched on soil um it does need a little bit of soil some higher ph is there anything else uh regarding soil or preparing the planting hole we want to talk about before maybe we jump into some of your top recommended cultivars well, I mean, I think it's very important to know your soil. So when you dig your holes, you know, what kind of soil is it? Uh, you want to use the same soil back again when you're planting. Now, having said that, I would cut, I would put up to 20%, let's say a good compost, uh, a little bit of blood meal, bone meal, alfalfa meal, something like that, a little bit for nitrogen, but not soluble because you don't want soluble around the roots when you're transplanting. Uh, and then you basically uh, put that in the hole and put that mix back around it. Uh, one thing you should do too is uh, if you if you're doing your if you're doing an orchard, it's a good thing to have your soil pH tested, and that's just your acidity level. and And they like to grow in a fairly neutral soil. So if you have an acid soil, put some lime, like just agricultural lime, in with it, just a handful. Uh, in with the soil and then you should lime your entire orchard and every six years repeat that and because that will put the ph up if you're in the rare situation where you're in a high ph soil like an alkaline soil then you use sulfur generally to get it back toward neutral but 
uh, it's a lot easier with, to, to add lime to an acidic soil. So, okay. and, um, and then organic matter, I mean, it's so important. It's like that, that organic matter is what's breaking apart, what's being dissolved by bacteria and so forth. And as they uh, eat that, that uh, compost, so to speak, they're releasing the nutrients that are soluble and, and when the, the, the tree can uptake. Okay. So, you know, it's like all of those are important things to think about. Excellent. Um, we do have one listener question, um, basic, and since you were talking about plant, how planting it, planting the trees, um, Kat, uh, Cindy has written in and she said, could you touch on a good way to mulch apple trees? So do we need to mulch apple trees? It, it's actually a good thing with a caveat. Um, be careful of using too much mulch. Mm-hmm. because if you use too much, the rain sometimes will not get through. You have a dry period and then you will not be able to re-wet the mulch and the soil. So I usually put a two to three inches, keep it away from the actual trunk. Yeah. Uh, we have problems with apple borers here now. Oh. We never had them, but we certainly have them now. And we paint the, ba- the bottom foot of the tree uh, with a latex paint. And fairly and right, seep it right into the soil a bit because then they don't see it as a place to, to lay an egg. Um, and so, uh, I'm not sure what, what, uh, where were we? Uh, tree planting, yeah. I guess. Oh, no, no, sorry, the mulch. So, yeah, it was a mulch question. The so, mulch, that definitely right. helps. Yes, yeah, no, and, that definitely uh, helps. The mulch, the mulch basically, uh, we, we use uh, well rotted bark, but you can use a, a wide variety of things, but it'll keep the soil moister generally, and you won't have the up and down freezing thawing effects mm. that you do in given winter. So yes, I, I would I would use that. Um, the only thing with certain types of mulch, like straw, uh, I mean, straw's not too bad, but hay will attract field mice. Yeah. And so you want to put protection around your trunk too, because there's nothing worse than <laughs> growing a tree for three years and then having it ringed by a vole or, or yeah, a rodent. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what is the time from when you start to when you can ship an apple tree? Like how long? Do you, do um, you... Well, the process is usually it takes us two years to grow our a seedling rootstock if we're for using our own. We usually buy in clonal because it's it's a clonal rootstocks is a whole different business. Uh, so but we raise the seedlings for two years and then they're grafted the next spring uh, and they're grown one year and sometimes harvested as one year, but most of the time we would leave them for two year branch trees. Uh, and so altogether it's basically a four year process. If we buy in the rootstocks it's a it's a two year process. Okay. So usually when you're buying an apple tree in your garden center, it's maybe four to five years old on average, would you say? Maybe if you're counting whoever's growing the rootstock, yeah, uh, oh, true. that's yeah. important too. So, and, but usually most of the trees you see are two year, sometimes three year. It depends on the market and well, mm-hmm. a lot of things. And some people have all different sizes. Mm-hmm. very true very mm-hmm. very true yeah and we do want to describe our, our sorry matt to describe our the book is gorgeous it is a full color like textbook 
you know, you really covered it all, right, um, Bob? So it's, you know, I, I, I know that's one thing about doing radio or doing podcasts is people can't really see the book. And and sometimes they're like, you know, great little books. And like Matt and I wrote a great little book, but this is a really nice big book um, with excellent pictures and excellent examples. Like even, you know, when you were talking about um, the scion and the smaller rootstock, I mean, you've got some really great. So it is uh, I think a really important book for anybody who is really serious about growing apples. Bob, also even somebody who's just like a backyard gardener or you more thinking more people that are really interested in starting um, like an orchard. Well, hopefully it's for everybody. I mm. mean, you know, if you just want to plant one tree, it's still nice to know what, what are the best conditions for it? What kind of, what should you be looking for? I mean, one of the things that uh, we put uh, in the appendix was a list of all of the cultivars that we cover and you know when do they bloom uh what you know when is their season what are they used for and so forth so you can their zones and so forth that way you can pretty well get a really good idea of what not to use maybe and uh, and look at some of the new options too that are out there some of the some of the recent apple cultivars are really pretty exciting like Excellent flavor, excellent storage, crispness, juiciness, and also no scab, no mildew, mm. no rust. Ooh, excellent. And so that that's a huge weight off of any grower. Mm-hmm, for yeah. sure. That goes a long way to making it much more low maintenance uh, and, and easy. Well, I mean, the, the healthier that tree is, the less maintenance you will have. Yeah. In yeah. a way, yeah. So where is our book, is your book, our book, your book available for our listeners to purchase? I mean, as far as I know, you can go to any place, you know, the, the usual Amazons and book and Indigo chapters and all those places carry it. It's, uh, it's released throughout Canada and the U.S. Excellent. Perfect. So check out your chapters, your local Barnes and Noble, and definitely check out Amazon.ca and .com. Uh, to pick up Bob's book, uh, Hardy Apples Growing in Cold Climates. Uh, don't forget uh, to also check out cornhillnursery.com and uh, take a closer look at uh, that nursery operation as well. Mm-hmm. Do we have any listener questions before we continue with Bob? We do. Um, Brett has written in and he's saying, for those of us that want to, in brackets, try to grow apples here in Toronto, what would be the most successful one to try for our climate? Well, actually, I mean, Toronto is actually in zone six, at least, and you have the heat of the city. So Mm -hmm. uh, you can grow uh, longer season apples and so forth. you know, one I, I really tout is called Liberty. Again, it's a very disease-resistant tree. Uh, excellent. Uh, and what you want to do is if you've got a small yard, that's when you want to choose a dwarf or semi-dwarf rootstock. So hopefully whoever is selling you the trees, make sure that they know what the rootstock is and whether it is dwarfing or semi-dwarfing and so forth. Okay. Um, one of the things you have to remember is that a dwarfing rootstock, it, it doesn't strangle the tree or anything and make it small. What it does is it's very precocious. So it starts to produce fruit early, early. And so you have all the energy going into seed and rather than vegetative growth. Uh, the, only, the only disadvantage is that they tend to be somewhat shorter lived and they also have uh, less than perfect anchorage. 
So they'll often just lean if you just <laughs> don't stake them. So you definitely want to stake any tree the first year and then take it off. But if you're growing dwarfs, you need a permanent way to support that tree, at least for the first 10 years or so. And so that, you know, it's very important that you realize that, that there's something that goes along with the dwarf tree. Very cool. And what about semi-dwarf? And Yeah, semi-dwarfs are are generally where I tend to put my, uh, uh, my advice in because they are generally uh, freestanding. So they, they're generally well anchored. Mm-hmm. And you get a tree that's about, will grow up to about 15 feet maybe. And you also can, that can be heavily influenced by pruning. Uh, you can right. keep a tree much smaller if you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, those, those are some of the um, things that I, I think are most important. Yeah, yeah. I think of um, when I first started designing, uh, you know, 15 years ago, everybody, you know, we said at the top of the show about the trends, uh, I was designing yards that had tree fruit trees and homeowner and the new homeowners were asking me to get rid of them and right. to design something else. And I've really seen the whole change. Like now they're wanting to know what, what apple trees and where they best spot for their apple tree. Um, so, I, and other fruit trees as well. So I think it's been kind of cool. I mean, it's not like it's, that's not a long time, right? Really for that change to happen. So, that's right. um, so Jane has written in uh, another question for the GTA. Um, she's saying, do she need to do anything in the fall or now for prepping her apple trees? She lives in the GTA. So the general Toronto area. Um, nothing in particular, unless you haven't, taking care of other things like you know you could lime your soil if you haven't limed lime your soil that's definite uh or you can put like an organic fertilizer like one thing about fertilizing in the fall a lot of people oh no you're not supposed to do that well if you're using a soluble that creates really watery growth yes that's a problem but if you're using something like alfalfa meal or or you know um phosphate rock or something like that you're okay. not really going to for the, the tree will shut down when it wants to shut down right and that has yeah. been yeah. proven yeah. um so yeah. you want to make sure that your tree is well fed other than that um you know you, know, you really uh, won't have any trouble with hardiness probably uh, i don't know how much uh, air pollution affects apple trees mm-hmm. um that might some in some neighborhoods that might be a bit of a problem but i can't see it being uh in Toronto, I, I would. Okay. Do you recommend um, dormant spray in the spring? Good question. <laughs> we we don't use it. Um, okay. The only problem with the dormant is that you're killing things like overwintering mite eggs and so forth, but you're also killing predatory mites. And I, I find that it's a it's a little bit of an overreach uh, mm. to do it. Now, you know, we we I haven't really expanded myself too much because it's expensive to uh, buy some of the new products mm-hmm. um, but we we have uh, a program now where at pedal drop uh, we spray with bt which is bacillus thuringiensis and what that does is it kills the larvae of butterflies and moths that's it so it's very specific and you spray this on the trees and as soon as the the leaf rollers start to feed uh, they die has a stuff called spinosad in it, uh, which is made by soil microbes. And it's like 
0.025%. It's just a tiny amount, but it's very toxic to them. Uh, oh, I sort of switched over here. But then uh, what we do for apple maggot is in, usually here, they come up in early July. And and what we have been using, it's a, it's a commercial product, um, um, GF120, uh, but it, I think it's sold as Naturalite. Uh, and, and basically it's kind of like a molasses base, but it, again, it has the spinosad and you just whip, you, you take your spinner out of your backpack sprayer and you put this material with water, it's a concentrate, and you just flick it on every other tree or so. And what happens, the maggots come up, they, they're attracted, they feed it and they die. They never mate, they never lay eggs. So I went from having every apple in the orchard infected with apple maggot to none, absolutely none. I was stunned. Wow. Now we still have things like, uh, we tried coddling moth. Uh, um, it, it's like a little trap that you, or little, it looks kind of like a little bow that you put on the top of the tree and it releases the, a mimic of the pheromone that, attra that attracts the females, right? Or no, the females, so it attracts the males, right? And so it confuses them, but it didn't seem to work that well in my smaller orchard. I think it's mm. for larger uh, intensities, okay. but, but those are the kind of things that we're fiddling with, right? That are, you know, much more, uh, you know, they're organically um, certified there. And it's just trying to see if we can grow some really clean fruit, but a lot of it has to do with cultivar. It's, you know, the, like Novamac, it's just clean as a whistle, right? And so, you know, you get uh, some of these very disease resistant, it just makes so much easier to, to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with our smaller yards, I would think that the dwarf trees and the semi-dwarf trees would be a better choice as well. Well, a standard tree can get big. Like some mm -hmm. of our red astrakhans are 30 feet tall. Mm -hmm. you know, we gave up on those. They're, they're, just, they're just beautiful to look at. So you know, and they, most of the fruit falls on us. We can't pick it, <laughs> mm. but it's uh, still good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nice. Speaking of apple cultivars, we are going to about to jump into some of the best ones for glow, growing in uh, cold climates, but I'm just going to jump in and say uh, thank you everyone for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. Thank you as well if you are listening via a downloaded podcast. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you with, from our research and from the wonderful guests like Bob Osborne, who joins us here on the show. Don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Down the Garden Path Podcast is our handle there. You can also find us on your favorite podcast providers with lots of past content. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And <laughs> please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. You can always write us here at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com or via our websites. You can find Joanne at www.downthenumber2earth.ca and myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. So I think the big question on everybody's minds on all the emails are, what are the best ones that you think that we should grow? What are you recommending for cooler or cold climates uh, that are your top performers? 
if I had to plant a, a fruit orchard, uh, I would plant Liberty, Liberty, Nova, Nova Mac, uh, Green Sleeves, um, Standow, and Standow. Uh, yep. Okay. And oh my gosh! And for me, Frostbite. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I there there are so many I could. I just feel like going now. You know, Spartan is a wonderful apple. There, there are a lot of great apples. Mm -hmm. yeah. But those are the ones that I think will give you the least amount of trouble, will give you the most amount of fruit. Uh, they are all, um, I guess, user-friendly, if, if I can say. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny to say because, that, yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, people still love their Macintoshes and Portlands and, and so forth, but they are much more difficult to grow mostly because of apple scab, which is a fungal disease that afflicts especially Macintosh, but also Cortland. And so, you know, if you're trying to do that, then you have to deal with that fungus and if you want clean fruit. And so that requires uh, knowing the calendar, if you will, of when exactly you should be spraying something like sulfur or whatever to, mm -hmm. to combat the problem. So it becomes much more complex. I mean, if you grow your own fruit, you will quickly realize that the fruit growers of the world uh, have to perform quite a bit of magic in order to get this lovely fruit that's on the shelf. And so I have a great amount of respect for the fruit growers and they're up against, they're up against an impossible situation because everybody says they want, you know, no sprays, et cetera, but, uh, at the same time, they will not touch one with a black spot on it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too, I guess. That's right. But, That's but right. I think what we what we need to do is just have a, a you know, you want a clean apple. I'm not saying you sell, you know, wormy apples or whatever, but mm -hmm. at the same time, mm -hmm. you, you have to realize that uh, um, you know, most a lot of fruit gets thrown away and used for juicing because you know it's ugly or it has a spot or it has a something. Yeah. So, you know, it's like you, you are actually getting the best of the best. And some growers are much better at what they do. And also they grow cultivars that give them perfect fruit. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of the newer apples. They're there because they serve a whole range of purposes for the growers and the sellers. Wonderful. As you mentioned your top uh, apples to be growing, how hardy are the trees? How far north can we be planting our apple trees? Well, our, our orchard, which has all of those, has taken minus 40, probably three times, minus okay. 41. Uh, used to take minus 35s consistently every, every winter. Um, now we rarely get above minus 30, you know, it's, Minus 34 was actually, this was the coldest winter we've had in maybe a, a decade. Uh, and it still was only for a brief, brief time. And so it was, uh, they're, they're pretty hardy. Yeah. I don't, yeah. We don't grow anything that can't survive minus 35 to minus 40. Right. Yeah. So you're looking in yeah. zone three, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most, 34 to see, 40. A lot of a lot of times, a lot of these can be grown in, let's say, zone three, especially like of the warmer sections of zone three. The problem is um, the the time of of ripening is, you know, the heat is not enough. Now there may be exceptions to that. Um, 
you know, cold areas that uh, somehow or they have a little heat sink or whatever. But even so, if you try to grow red delicious in a zone three, you might get an apple, but <laughs> you're not going to get anything like what you think. Right. Uh, and the same, it's the same for, for all of these. And we grow uh, yellow delicious, your golden delicious here. And at the end, when we pick it, finally, it, it's OK, but it's not. You know, the mm -hmm. same as what a Washington state will look like, oh, or okay. taste, right? Mm -hmm. They're still good, but uh, you know, you see the differences uh, when you uh, different geographies will produce different different results, right? Well, that's interesting. Right. So, yeah, so the hardiness means that like the tree will survive and the fruit will it will bear fruit, but you still need that longer you know, the longest as possible, right. Of uh, right. growing, of growing season. So, and this has been, I mean, we, it's like mid September almost, and it's still been pretty warm. So I guess this is going to be hopefully a good year. It was, it was 28 degrees here. And I know. you know, when I, in my old home, this time of year, we would be having frosts yeah. many nights. Right. Yeah. And it, the falls are changing here for sure. Yeah. Do you see any other, um, climate change like you know the fact that the climate is changing uh, regardless of what some people say but i mean how else it's affecting is it the longer seasons um well, i know what we what we have noticed over four four decades is that in the beginning uh about 1980 early 1980s uh you would never be able to dig uh, before april 15th that was just like and you were lucky if you got in by the 20th into the ground mm -hmm. right I mean, it might be it'd be soggy or, or whatever, but frozen. You couldn't still snow. Uh, now uh, we have actually we have been out in early March or late March once, but most of the time now it's uh, by early mid April the ground is ready, and wow. we don't usually freeze up now until really end of November. It used to be November fifteenth, the ground was solid, mm -hmm. and now no, we worked into December. Mm -hmm. wow. wow so we've seen a huge yeah. huge expansion of that growing season and mm -hmm. now we are probably growing uh material that maybe would not have produced as as good a fruit right because mm -hmm. of that extra heat that we have and it's okay. been hot this summer so there you go longer growing season more fruit from varieties that normally you couldn't grow and the soil is warmer longer and falling yeah. quicker every season. So, I mean, the proof is definitely in the pudding for sure. Um, I was thinking as you were talking about growing apples, you know, in, in New Brunswick or Ontario uh, and, and the fruit up in a colder zone, I was wondering, have you noticed any uh, change in flavor between these different places uh, in the fruit itself? I kind of think back to like wine and grapes, right? They kind of have that flavor profile based on Somewhat well, of the I soil think, they're grown in. Yeah, I think it's almost inevitable. I mean, one of the great examples uh, is an old English apple called Cox's Orange Pippin. And it was always considered, you know, the Olympic star of flavor, right? At least in England. And it would always grow best in the kind of drier southeast corner of England. Okay. And mm -hmm. then, and, and sometimes when you buy them in the store, you know, somebody from Washington State, let's say, can grow Cox's orange, but it will not taste the same as if it was grown in that section of England. Okay. And so, you know, there are, is it soils maybe, uh, you know, geography, topography, weather, 
all of these factors can influence, I think. And some people say rootstocks will influence flavor as well. Mm, Make it, uh, maybe more, more, more sugars or, so, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say, you know, I've never studied, you know, what, what the various profiles would be. Yeah. Uh, and you can't tell from store-bought apples because you don't know how long they've been stored. You know, you know, there's all these yes. factors. You almost have to taste it right off the tree when mm-hmm. it's ready. Now, in your book, you do have a note on taste. Can you share that with with everybody? <laughs> sure. Well, it, <laughs> it taste. If you if you are a, a writer and you're trying to describe a taste, the taste of an apple, there are certain things you can tell them. It's acidic. It's or it's sweet or it's a good balance. You can say that there are aromatics there. Sometimes you know banana flavored or or peach, or, and, and it depends on the person's nose. And a lot of people are much more sophisticated in picking up these various things. So, you know, they're various aromatics. And it's like, how do you describe that? Yeah. And, you know, there are people who have done pretty good jobs, but, uh, you know, you, you really are, are limited by the vocabulary. In other words, if you were into wines, oh my gosh, Smells like leather, smells like old horse manure or whatever. I know, yeah. But, uh, but in yeah. apples, you know, it's not, quite, it's not refined like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, you do the best you can, but yeah. you cannot, it's like, I have, I have one where I'm eating an ambrosia, right? And, and it, it was an interesting thing to write because I was writing as I was eating it. And huh. it's true that you, you, you can feel and smell and and taste sort of more if you're really concentrating on it and you can really uh, zone in on those kind of and that's that's a very uh, almost tropical fruit like apple so um yeah it's it's a difficult thing to write about and to write for but uh, so you can give the people the bare bones but you almost have to taste it yourself I was going to say, it really comes down to tasting it yourself. And and that's what I would tell people working in the garden center. What does it taste like? And you can describe it, but you just, you got to bite it. You got to just go out and try it because it's so hard to describe. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of garden centers um, and purchasing trees, Carla has written in, hi, Joanne and Matt. Okay. Bottom line. If I purchased an apple tree from the nursery and planted it, how soon before I actually see fruit? Well, that's a, that's a little bit complex because it depends on a couple of things. Depends on the rootstock. Very important because if you, most uh, dwarfing rootstocks will, will uh, produce fruit much earlier. So usually within two years, sometimes you'll even have fruit on a tiny little tree. You should actually take that off, right? Uh, to allow it to to get at least to some height, um, so in in those cases uh, very early. Now it also depends on the cultivar, the type of apple. So, for instance, Northern Spy is a good example of one that on a seedling root will take seven years or more to come oh, into wow. bearing. Uh, so that was always a disadvantage, and that's probably what you know why it's not grown as much. Uh, but now with dwarfing rootstocks, you can cut that in half, right? You might be four years, right? Um, but uh, most most apples generally, we like to tell people four years, and okay. and so you might get the odd apple and so forth. But after about four years, if that tree is happy, 
you know, and, and growing well, it should be producing within four years. Um, you also run into the problem with some apples of uh, the biennial nature of most apples. In other words, they have heavy crops, light crops, heavy crops, light crops. Ah. like a rest period almost. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the newer apples are pretty annual, but even so, they, they will thin them uh, so that you kind of even out the production over the years, right? Um, so, uh, you know, thinning is important as well. Mm -hmm. So well, that's another big question that we often get is how and when do I prune my apples? Is it necessary? Um, so as you talk about thinning the trees, what is that? And then what other pruning practices should we maybe observe or be aware of? Well, I always say to people that pruning is a dwarfing process. You're taking away the ability of the plant to make food because all of those leaves will not be produced, right? So it's not producing as much sugar. But you don't want growth to go in areas that in the long term you don't want, right? Because you don't want to expend the energy with something you're going to cut off when it's bigger. So what I would say is as your, your young tree grows, make sure that if you're in a snowy area, make sure that the bottom two feet or so doesn't have a branch because that will often strip, right? Oh, yeah. uh, and so, you know, gradually you can move up to a certain level uh, and just take off one, two uh, scaffolding branches a year. Try to maintain a central leader. It's not always easy, uh, depending on the apple. Um, but basically, you're looking for a kind of um, Christmas tree form, if you will. So you have this central leader with okay. branches going in different directions so that you balance the weight of the branches and the crop, right? And, uh, and then as the tree goes older, uh, if we're gonna use uh, the pruning methods of the, of the high density orchards, what they do is as soon as you have a branch that's more than half the diameter of the main trunk, you take it off oh. and you leave, you leave a little bit at the base of the cut so it will form a new branch, but you always encourage the younger, flatter branches, because they're going to be the fruit producers. Uh, now, if you prune a, a tree, especially prune it hard in the spring, you will get a huge reaction. It, it will send up water sprouts and everything. Because again, it's trying to make up for that loss. It is actually, if you want to control the size, it's almost better to prune like in late June, or excuse me, maybe July, uh, early, depends on where you are, early, mid-July. And then when you prune, you don't get that strong reaction. You get more smaller laterals behind the cut. And often those are, will perform, uh, uh, in, will form fruit buds uh, in spurs and so forth. And so if you want to control growth like that, it's almost better in the summer. Uh, right. But if you're pruning for, for structure, you can prune winter, winter, spring, you know, I, everybody says don't prune, uh, you know, in the middle of the winter and so forth. It's not good because you can't cut into the wood properly, but if you have a warm period, I've never really seen any damage done, you know, going back in, but generally speaking, you want to wait till, till the sap is beginning to flow a bit mm. okay. for, for spring. Right. So generally, we're, we're going to prune for shape. Um, and would you recommend taking out the larger limbs as they reach half a diameter of the trunk? Yeah. I mean, we, never, we, never, we never did that. 
but that's what I would recommend nowadays. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what you want to do is you want to keep it um, open enough so you get light into the centers of the tree. And so you can almost think of it like layers of branches um, that, you know, light can still get in because that's where you get your color and your early ripening. Yeah, the, the earliest tree or the, excuse me, the earliest apples are always in the south side uh, because they get more heat, right? Yes. And the ones that are in the middle uh, will be later because of, they don't get as much sun. Uh, and they also, um, you know, they're in the shade so that they tend to be more green rather than red. Now, if you've got yellow, it's different, but yeah. What about in the small yards, especially I think in the, in the GTA, um, and also the decorative nature of espaliering apple trees. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, it's a, it's an old, old method. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to use it in England a lot because it was quite cool and they actually wanted the heat of the wall. So they would do things like peach trees and so forth, okay. but you can do it with apples, pears, plums, cherries. Um, okay. And what you're trying to do is, 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 is essentially create a two dimensional tree mm-hmm. uh, rather than a three dimensional tree. And so you want to keep all the branching against the wall that you're that you're using. <clears throat> what is usually done is you start with a one-year whip of the apple cultivar of your choice on a dwarfing rootstock, and it's important okay. that it be dwarfing because you don't want vigor, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you do is take that one-year tree, and if it is high enough so that it's the, at where you first want branching, you snip it off. And what that does is we remove terminal dominance. You will get several breaks below it. And those you start to train out. Or if a fan shape, it doesn't matter, whatever shape you want. Um, but usually fan shapes or, or horizontals work best. Okay. And as the tree grows, you continue this process so that you create what looks like a ladder or like a fan. Um and, uh, and then as it ages, what you're going to find is that you will, you will get vigorous growth. You, you remove the vigorous growth, especially if it's growing away from the wall, and you leave the non-vigorous shoots. And after a while, too, you, you have to actually thin the spurs because you will get too many apples or you can thin with by hand. Okay. Uh, and what you want to do is you want to space out the apples. You'll get better, uh, better size on them and uh, usually better quality as well. But it's a, it's a fascinating uh, way to grow. And mm-hmm. we've had some here. We actually just lost a couple from the borer. So this, uh, this time, we, the one that is left was infested. And this time I came up with a new solution, which is I put uh, I take a silicone cock gun with a tip, very small tip, shove it in the hole they make and squeeze it till it comes out. And this completely gets rid of them. And it doesn't oh, seem okay. to harm the tree a bit. Okay. But uh, it's, those are, they're tree killers. Mm-hmm. So we are in our last five minutes of the show. Uh, I Great information. Thank you again so much for joining us and sharing your knowledge and your wonderful book. Uh, Again, Hardy Apples Growing Apples in Cold Climates. For those who maybe have joined late, uh, check it out in all the major bookstores, Chapter, Barnes & Nobles, uh, as well as on Amazon.com and .ca. 
every guest we have, we always like to give you guys a little time to uh, talk about anything that maybe we didn't talk about or uh, promote something or something that uh, maybe is dear to your heart or you want to share with us. Uh, so is there anything that you want to jump in there with before we end? Well, I mean, one of the things that's kind of interesting, you write a book on whether it's roses or apples or whatever. And so everybody kind of thinks that there's your this is your favorite thing or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is that I, I love it all. I love our evergreens. I love our, our ash trees and, you know, and everything. I just I think it's just an amazing, uh, you know, almost an honor to be able to grow stuff for a living. Mm, you know, really, yeah, I'm the luckiest yeah. person probably has ever lived because I live surrounded by trees, shrubs, perennials, fruit trees. You know, you go out and have some plums and one next day and then you're climbing up and picking the Novamax and handing them out. And, you know, it's it's uh, growing your own stuff. But, you know, for it's true that apples have a special kind of thing for me because they're food and I when I started gardening it was about food and I actually made fun of people that had flowers right <laughs> but you know it was the grandmothers and grandpas well I'm I have I'm a grandfather of 12 so oh, wow. uh, I uh I appreciate all of it now oh wow that's great that's great and are the kids involved yep my yeah. daughter and son-in-law are heavily involved as are my grandchildren to to a certain extent Yes, yes. Yeah. I love to see that. I love to see because there's so much um, the, for the period of time pre-COVID, there was a lot of, you know, where the, the farms were or the nurseries were not, you know, being passed from generation to generation. And I think that's turned it a little bit because I mm. think that the next generation <laughs> is having a bit more interest in the land and seeing the importance of it. So, uh, yeah. so I think that's great. Uh, our apple trees, so mail order, so we can order on your website. Um, are there other things that we can order mail order that you ship to Ontario or is uh, it mostly? We ship basically um, roses, small fruits and, uh, and shrubs, sometimes perennials depending, mm-hmm. um, but we, we, it's generally bare root material that's shipped out early in the spring, uh, you know, usually uh, late April. And so it comes to you dormant and, uh, you know, that we, uh, we seem to have good luck. Oh, excellent. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you have any of the, the newer um, columnar apples or what did you, have you ever seen? Yeah, those? yeah I, have, I have a few of the, uh, the ornamental ones. I haven't really gotten into the edible ones yet. Um, Emerald Spire, I think it is. And, uh, but anyway, they're, they're, they're fascinating trees really uh, you know because i am i am a fan of of like fastidious trees and uh, you know very narrow trees mm-hmm. i love i have a temple sugar maple which is really narrow and yeah, i just yeah. love stuff like that. i'm a collector really this is an excuse oh, for collecting <laughs> yeah they, as a designer in the city or i'm i guess i'm more in the suburbs but um narrow trees tall narrow trees are like the hot item because everybody's worried about everybody's window like it's so funny like it's like after during COVID everybody realized they had neighbors all of a sudden I don't know so now everybody has to block every view and we're also you know and they're not realizing that everybody's so busy with their own stuff they don't have time to watch what other people are doing but you know it's selling a lot of columnar trees (laughs) yeah that's that's the number one I would say nine times out of ten when somebody comes to us 
they want us to put in a landscape, it's to hide the neighbors. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> or at least to feel privacy. And I understand that. I mean, I I live where I can do anything I want because my yes, neighbor yes. is ages away from me. But at the at the same time, it's like it, it doesn't feel very communal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's yeah. a kind of a mixed mixed bag. Yes. Yes. For sure. For sure. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Down the Garden Path here on Reality Radio 101. Bob, thank you very much again for taking the time out of your busy schedule and your wonderful garden, I'm sure, without being able to see it, uh, for joining us here to talk about your wonderful book, Hardy Apples, Growing Apples in Cold Climates, available at all major bookstores and online on Amazon. Uh, Don't forget to take a look for Bob Osborne's book, All About Roses. And don't forget to check out CornhillNursery.com for more of the inside scoop on uh, Bob, his wonderful nursery venture, and all about growing apples. So thank you very much again, Bob, for joining us. My pleasure. And we will see everybody again uh, next week, next Monday here on Reality Radio 101 the brand new topic and uh, you are again listening to down the garden path we'll talk to you all next week thanks again we'll see you soon goodbye thank you for listening to down the garden path with your host joanne shaw and matthew dressing right here on reality radio 101